0: Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now, wherever books are sold.
1: Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 190. Say, the Nerdist Industries has become uh, quite the little content condo, so please come in and explore one of our many rooms. I'm fairly certain if you listen to this show that there will probably be something else for you to enjoy. You can go to Nerdist.com, which is our website. You can subscribe to the nerdis Newsletter at NerdistNews.com to get daily nerd news updates in your email inbox. You can also uh, explore our video channel on YouTube, youtube.com slash Nerdist. And check out our other podcasts. There's a ton of them, nerdist.com slash podcast and live shows, nerdist.com slash calendar and nerdmeltla.com, which gives you all the happenings for our Nerdist Theater at Meltdown Comics. Jesus Christ, I just tired myself out. We're busy, but it's good, and we hope you enjoy it, because we do it for you. And also this need that I have to never stop making things. Um, I think I might live to be a thousand because I will refuse to die until everything gets made ever. I'd like to thank our returning sponsor of the Nerdist Podcast, Hover.com. Hover is premium domain registration service that is simple. Why the crap would you go other places that are gonna try to sell you a bunch of crappy services that you don't need? Just go to a place that specializes in domain registration. And if you have any problem there, you can actually talk to a living, breathing human being Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. There's a no-hold policy for customer service calls. What else do you need? If you want a premium domain, which is a domain that, let's say for instance, uh, hey, you want uh, toast.com. That would be considered a premium domain because it's a commonly used word. I would love it if you got Toast.com, then you could be some crazy-like Toast Lord. Not that you really would be able to control the comings and goings of Toast, but if you own the domain, in today's world, people would probably assume that you did. And then maybe you would, by some weird law of digital manifest destiny. But whatever you need, whether it's a standard domain or a premium domain, Hover is the place for you. Um, we can give you 10% off if you use the offer code Nerdist by going to Nerdist.Hover.com. That's only on the standard domain, so we can't give you 10% off the premium domains. Those are going to be costly, but again, worth it. So whatever your domain name needs are, Nerdist.com slash Hover. Use the offer code Nerdist. Thank you so much uh, to Hover again for, for helping us here on the Nerdist podcast. And I am ready to tell you about this episode, which is uh, Scott Sigler, who was an early Nerdist podcast guest. I mean, Scott's a guy who is... I mean, you want to talk about someone who has built his entire little uh, media presence from the ground up. He is a guy you need to listen to if you want to create anything. He's a writer. Um, He basically started releasing books on his own. He started podcasting those books. Um, He is genius at marketing and creation. And and also, he happens to be a good writer if you love sci-fi. Uh, his new book is called Nocturnal. Uh, it just came out April 3rd. You can go to scottsigler.com to figure out where you, can, where you can pick that up, and I recommend that you do. But also, if you're a creator and you just want to know, like, how do I plant my flag in the digital space? He is a guy that you need to be listening to. So here we go, the Nerdist Podcast, episode number 190, with my pal Scott Sigler.
0: Now entering Nerdist.com.
2: Off the phone, starting
1: now. Now, okay, airplane mode. Yes. I'm in airplane mode.
3: All right,
2: we're synced. Airplane
1: mode means podcast mode. Yes, Yes. Hey, Scott Sigler, welcome back to the podcast.
2: Thank you. Remember when you were here a a year and a half ago? Something like that. You were in San Francisco.
1: Boy, it was at least that.
2: Yeah, episode number 20-something?
1: 26. Wow. Yes. Good recall.
2: 26.
1: Good recall.
2: Watching what has happened since then has been crazy. Kind of fun. (laughs)
1: What what's what what's just co- that
2: the the show? The oh the, show. oh right right yes uh, you know it's uh, because I listen every every well every, you do more than one a week sometimes but I yeah. listen as much as I can that's my dog walking show and and listening to you know Bryan Cranston and William Defoe and Conan <laughs> O'Brien all these people come on it's just been really cool to watch it blow up.
1: Well, now that I know that you listen when you're, do- when you're walking your dog, yes. i just be like,
2: come on, boy. Over here. Come on. She doesn't walk that fast anymore. Please She's go. 14. Please go. Please. Uh, yes, yes. So hopefully she'll respond. Her bowels will respond to your, to your voice. That would be great.
1: <laughs> if there's anything that we've learned, it's that my voice <laughs> does have uh, bowel-moving capabilities with canines. Some people can hit a note that will cause a dog to sh- you know to shriek mm-hmm. cuz it's in their range i uh i can cause a a frequency that will make a dog instantaneously shit
2: you've got the subsonic brown tone
1: it like is it that. is a brown tone i think yes. it is called the brown tone it's 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 in kind of a <sighs> range you can't really hear it with the human ear <laughs> i hope i can hear and thank it. god Otherwise. because that would be a power that would you would not want
2: you could use that loose for evil at in many the times world. That is Anytime. one of
1: those things, like non-lethal terrorist uh, <laughs> countermeasures. You don't need a sonic cannon. It doesn't cause any permanent tissue damage. It just makes you shit your pants. You can't terrorize someone when you're shitting your pants.
2: <laughs> you can't do it. You can't even finish robbing a bank. Nothing. You're right. Like, oh, I got to go. Right. I'm sorry. All right, the stick them. Oh, man. Can
1: I just, oh, can I just get to the bathroom? Put all the put all your toilet. I was, I was originally wanted money in this bag. Just put all the toilet paper you have in this bag. And I'll just be on my way.
2: <laughs> yeah, that'd be good,
1: uh, Scott. You are—you are you're one of these guys, and we, you know, if anyone remembers episode twenty-six, you were a pioneer in the field of of free entertainment, uh, driving people to your work by giving them something. Uh, You—I uh, mean, your work being—you're an author, mm-hmm. and you. Mm-hmm. I, always, I, was, I was fascinated by the idea that you would, you would read your books and give the audio versions away as podcasts.
2: I started doing it in 2005, um, and just it was because I could not get a print deal, and was getting lots of rejection letters at the time, and uh, people were like, well, we like the writing, but it's too, there's too many genres. I don't know if it's sci-fi or horror or suspense or action, and they kind of didn't know what shelf to put it on, so I, after nine years of trying that, I gave up. I'm like, you know what, I'll just record my own books and put them out. And gave them away for free, and it freaked out my agent at the time. He's like, You can't give stuff away for free. It'll screw everything up. I'm like, Well, there's nothing to screw up right now.
1: (laughs) Wait till you see the next several years.
2: (laughs) You just wait. Uh, And yeah, and just been, we've been doing it nonstop since 2005 and record my own audiobooks, uh, cut them up into 20 or 30 pieces, and podcast those about 20, 30, 40 minutes a week. And that built a following. People loved it. Here's your agent.
1: Uh I'm not a mathematician, uh, <laughs> Scott, but uh check me if I'm wrong. Ten percent of zero is zero. <laughs> oh, I think that's Nick's cherry. Okay. going have to Nick Nick has Nick Nick has work to do over in the no, no, uh, no, it's, it's okay. I'm over here in the oh, matrix. Yeah, you see Nick's Nick's pulling in from the matrix over there. Of
3: course. And of course I'm very busy. <laughs>
1: Watching, are you pulling sports clips for Seacrest? What's happening no, today? No,
3: this is strictly March Madness. Oh, <laughs>
1: March Madness! That's a sports thing, right? It's a sports Scott, thing. Scott yes, you sir. know sports. I do know sports. Yes, this is
2: one of the best times of the year—the the college basketball uh, wait,
1: tournament. Oh wait, Nick, do me a favor. Do me, do me a favor. Talk a little sports with Scott, because I don't have the ability to do that, <laughs> and I would really like to see what that would be like on this podcast. Okay, sports it up. Sports it up. Okay, I, you like the NFL?
2: Yeah, I do. I love the NFL. Boring. Oh, okay, <laughs> I'm kidding. You're, you're you're kidding. No, no, go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Peyton Manning, where's he going? I think Peyton Manning's probably going to wind up in Tennessee. Uh, that's a good call. I still think Dallas could pull a rabbit out of the Hold on. Hold on.
1: You're crazy over there. What are you talking about? Peyton
2: Manning hasn't done jack shit in 12 years. Everybody can see this, Chris. I don't know what you're looking at. Everybody. He's to to
1: He's going to go to Tennessee because that's where oh, he played. Nick, you're that's living in a dream world. Before. What color is the sky in your fucking universe? I don't know what this guy's talking NFL about. NFL means not for long if you don't follow me on <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about anything.
2: You're totally made for sports radio, dude. You're ready yeah. to go. It's just, it's just the going up. It's the going yeah. up and insulting and that's being it. being
1: contrary to anything that you yeah, that you yeah, say. Exactly. That's
2: great. Works great for Tony Kornheiser. Just disagree with everything, <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, you'll be good. No,
1: Scott, I'm not gonna do like Tony Kornheiser. <laughs> I feel like my voice is a kind of a mashup between a Regis Philbin and something. Regis, yeah, e- Regis and um, hmm.
2: it's Regis in a Knicks jersey, really. Is yeah, we're looking at here,
1: it, Regis in a set of balls. <laughs> I think if you cross Regis with a set of balls, it'd be this voice.
2: I think he's got a set of balls. They're just old and wrinkled.
1: They're in there somewhere. They're,
2: they're still. You yeah, know, he's still like, a guy. He's like still
1: a dude. you know, like a tea bag after it's been in the after it's been soaking for a while, he's showing us and you teabag. can take that tea bag any way teabag. you want. Not, yeah, exactly. A tea bag, tea bag, one that comes out of a
2: cup, and <laughs> <laughs> not enough out of a cup either. So.
1: That's the pee bag for Philbin. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Who wants to be a millionaire of balls?
2: Oh, how do we get to
1: that? We were talking about <laughs> sports. Boy. See, yeah, that's we what I, just, I can't. I can't maintain a conversation about. <laughs> about sports.
2: I still think you got a big cross section of your audience. I, you know, I agree. Yeah,
1: there are a lot of sports nerds. There are a lot of people that, you, Nick, you'd probably like. Uh, Sigler writes these books of. Uh, he takes uh, basically he mashes up aliens and sports. So there's like these alien football leagues. Oh, I like
2: that. See, there and you go. That's great. sells it itself. And so yeah. it
1: satisfies. I mean, it's a genius piece of crossover. I love it. Genius Pretty piece fun. of crossover. Yeah.
2: Fun. Yeah. I, news on that for you too what's that what's that uh that that's one of the things that uh uh my business partner a covex is here with me and we've been giving that away as a a free audiobook for three years Mm -hmm. four years three four years and we then put out hardcovers of those Uh, we did them ourselves we uh, took pre-orders so we had the fans pay for stuff way in advance we could hold their money Mm -hmm. and use that money to pay for a three thousand copy hardcover print run Mm -hmm. we sold out of that for the rookie at $34.95 Thirty-four ninety-five pops. We're very impressed with ourselves. Nice. Premium price hardcover. We sold 3,000 copies. That was fun. And then we have the next two books in the series and the fourth one coming out fall. But we just uh, signed a deal with Diversion Books. Mm-hmm. Who, and so Perseus is a distributor. And now our books will be in paperback all over the country. Hey, wow. congratulations. Yeah. This is something we gave away totally for free. And We made some small ad revenue against it on the podcast. Um, but now the popularity of it has grown. And now we are doing the reverse. Instead of starting out with a book deal... For These we start giving it all away for free, and then boom, it rolls itself. Into I
1: believe that cars. model's called bottom up, yes, <laughs> as opposed to yes. top down.
2: It's something of that, that caliber, yeah, right? I'm pretty excited though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it does sound a little bit naughty, yeah. Bottom up, <laughs> bottom up with Scott Sigler. Well,
2: we do have a bar in San Francisco called the End Up,
1: so yes, it's similar. That's good. Similar. Oh, you are, you are, yes, of course, you're a Bay Area guy. Yep, yep. I love San Francisco,
2: it's pretty fun, super pricey, but pretty fun.
1: The weather was really nice when I was there. You can't beat a nice San Francisco day.
2: You find out that there are people in the city because you go to the park to walk your dog, and all of a sudden there are 100 people there that never poke their head out of their apartment ever.
1: You know, San Francisco is tricky because it looks sunny outside, so you go, well, I don't need a jacket. And then you walk, and you're like, oh, it's so nice and warm and sunny. And then you catch a building shadow, and then (laughs) it's... Awful. Yes. You're eating people on the streets. <laughs> to, you're building a, a campfire to survive.
2: <laughs> Looking for anything combustible. You need a Sherpa to get
1: across Market Street.
2: Uh, that's, uh, it, that's where the new book is set is San Francisco, uh, Nocturnal. Um, that's the one that's out April 3rd. And that's kind of crazy for me because I used to live in Michigan where things are really cold almost all the time.
1: Oh, yeah. That's a really cold part of the country. It's
2: a a cold. It's no Minnesota, but it's close. Yeah. Um, And all my other hardcover hardcover books, the modern-day books, have all been set in Michigan. And this is the first one set in San Francisco. So it was kind of cool to ride around town at 3 or 4 in the morning and look for places that looked spooky. It's pretty... Well-kept-up cities. There's not a whole lot of spookiness The Tenderloin's pretty spooky. (laughs) Yeah, it's fairly spooky. But I used to play in a a band that would gig around Detroit. And comparatively, it's like, ah, it's the Tenderloin. It's no big deal. Just (laughs) just don't look anybody in the eye and everything will be fine. At
1: least the buildings aren't burned out.
2: There's no cars blocking streets. There's no no burned-out cars blocking streets. And and all the buildings are still standing. So it's not that scary to me. Not that scary.
1: No RoboCops. San Francisco needs a RoboCop.
3: I'm not
2: sure what they would do, though. There's not a, I don't know. Crime is. Every city needs a RoboCop. Every city does need a RoboCop. I don't know if they've completed the work on the Detroit RoboCop statue. They were taking donations to create a RoboCop statue. I know this. like the Rocky one. Yeah. And I hope they pull that off. That'd be great.
1: I don't know how much money they were trying to raise. I
2: think it was a, really like 40 grand. That's it? Yeah. Four, 40 grand for a RoboCop statue is not a big deal. Jesus I Christ.
1: I feel like I, I would just give them 40 grand to make a RoboCop statue. <laughs> hey, a RoboCop statue.
2: Except then it would have to have a pop-up face visor and your face underneath. and Instead of Peter instead Weller. Instead of Peter Weller. Yeah. yeah.
1: Officer Murphy. It have to movie. be Officer Hardwick.
2: Aren't they rebooting that?
1: Oh, God. You could probably just say that about anything and be right. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't they rebooting that?
2: I think they are. I think they are.
1: I am not... Uh, I, there's such a mad scramble in Hollywood to just give people things they recognize.
2: But then they're just ruining all, everything that was good. Well, we just, I just saw the John Carter movie. Yep. Um, You're the one. Yes. Yes. And I I enjoyed (laughs) it. I heard it was pretty good. (laughs) I enjoyed it, but they took the words from Mars out. And this is what I heard because they were afraid women wouldn't go see the movie. Because otherwise, women flock to CGI monster flicks.
1: Of course, they you do. Know, otherwise, they're... Well, really good move there. Confusing people with the title. Super confusing. I didn't know what the fuck John Carter was when I first heard about it. I mean, because they didn't, you know, there was nothing on there that said, like, from the Edgar Rice Burroughs or from, you know. Yeah. There was nothing, nothing like it, it was just John Carter. Well,
2: what is that? It was really weird marketing. It made no sense at all. And I read all those books when I was a little kid. Right. So I was super excited to go see it, and uh, wasn't horribly disappointed by it at all. It's kind of fun.
1: I'm a little more patient now with people, though, because I run a thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You don't always make the best decisions, <laughs> but sometimes I have this, you know, like with the John Carter thing. Of course, the nerd inside of me is like, I hope someone got fired <laughs> over that, you know, just because you want you want to know that someone someone paid for that. Yes, you know,
2: but no, I, but according to Disney, no.
1: But then I feel bad because. Uh, you know, if I if we fuck something up and someone's like, I hope someone got fired, I'm like, we're
2: just people. What do you want? <laughs> we're not perfect. Uh, or us, like, yeah, there's two people in our company. So if somebody's getting fired, that means a whole lot of extra work.
1: So, oh, that's Kovex. Yeah. Are, your fans are pretty nice, though, I would imagine.
2: They're awesome. They're awesome. A lot of fans have been there since, you know, 2005, 2006, moving on, and we're getting a lot of new people in all the time. But um, that's the other thing that the free model does for you is when you give – give full content away on content away and people like it. They just love you so much because they didn't have to spend anything to discover you. So they're like, all right, I'll, I'll give this a chance and I'll try it out. And people just feel, I think they just feel really respected and feel included. I'm in
1: familiar form. with this model. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you were very inspiring to me to kind of keep, I mean, it was, uh, I, I never had intended to charge for the podcast. And as, as far as I'm concerned, we will never charge for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, But, you know, it just sort of strengthened my resolve seeing the success you had, you know, with releasing your book as as a series of podcasts. And then you still sell books. And Mm -hmm. it's not it. I mean, I I really am a believer in like, you know, do what you love. Put it out in the world. You'll figure out the money part. You know, like it'll it'll something will something will happen that it'll it'll sort of work out. There's a little bit of a leap of faith for me.
2: And it takes a while to get good at it, too. You know if you're, if you're commit to putting stuff out every week, whether that's a picture or a song or a podcast or, or, or stories, and you stick with that, I, I felt I started to get a lot better at it about three years into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all of that constant repetition of writing and podcasting kind of paid off. But now you're, it comes full circle because we're, we just booked a, a book tour.: Nice. And it's a, we're booking it on our own. Publishers not paying for this, this part of things. They're going to do some advertising for Nocturnal, apparently. But we have a book tour starting April 2nd in San Francisco. And there's a lot fewer bookstores out there now.
1: I know. I only did a couple of... Uh, actually, one of, the, one of the tours that I did was at the Apple Store in San Francisco mm-hmm. for iBooks. So there were no physical books there. Uh, we just did a. I did a panel with Veronica Belmont, and we just talked about my book. And but there were no physical books there. It was all for for iBooks. So that was an interesting, an interesting way to do it as well.
3: Yeah, it's. It, did you it,
1: sign iPads? I did. I signed a couple of the backs of a couple of iPads. That's yeah, cool.
2: that's like always cool. cool. But what we're gonna do for if we do another tour in the future, um, having been to a couple of your Nerdist live shows, we're like, well, if we could find a place. And rent it, or bring in fifty fans, and just record a podcast live on a much smaller scale that will kind of replace the book tour. Because trying to find a place, you can to do, go it go a book tour, could do it at Meltdown. Can do it at Meltdown. Awesome.
1: Well, y- you can just, in. You can just have it. That's one. That's one. One <laughs> down. <Woo. There's laughs> Done. <more> <laughs>
2: See how easy that was. But it's great <laughs> watching everything that people do in the space. Because like we just kind of had that idea. We're like, well, we could just have a podcast instead. I think I had just come from your last show in San Francisco which was quite quite fun. Oh, that That was. I was very drunk.
1: Oh, Dan Harmon. Yes. Yeah. Drunk (laughs) Dan (laughs) Harmon. Did you get any negative feedback from that? I I haven't put it up yet.
2: Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, there you go.
1: No, I'm gonna I'm gonna I still, I still haven't put it up. You know, sometimes those longer shows are kind of a pain because uh, I mean, just for from a podcasting standpoint, because you know, there's stand up at the beginning, so that all has to get cut out, and then the show has to go with be a you know like want to keep the show to a certain length and. Mm And the audio has to be leveled and clean and you don't always get sometimes with the live shows, we don't always get a great audio level because it's just being run off of a board. Right. And like you can't hear the audience. I don't know. So so those tend to need a little more work than just, hey, we just, hey, we just went and. Re- no, I've, I've no, I've hired nice. someone now.
3: Nice.
1: Yeah, I, I can't. I don't have time anymore. But it's only been a couple, maybe six weeks.
3: I find it fascinating that soul creatives like you guys, that's so hard to give up.
1: Well, that one in particular was really hard to give up because, well, you know, you just get weird and superstitious and precious about things. You're like, it's so funny how you can almost, I mean, and I use success with a small s. I mean, whatever measure of success we've had on the show, I sort of feel like anyone when they work so hard to achieve something and then they kind of start to achieve it, then you start getting a little paranoid and like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, I i always uh I always edited that podcast on a brown desk. I guess I have to always be on a brown and then you kind of start to realize nah that doesn't really doesn't really matter it's a it's a whole separate skill to learn how to delegate uh, and to and to have faith in people and I have done that and it's it's fine it has worked out fine
2: that's been the hardest thing for me is is giving up control over things in because there's a there's a ramp up when you give it over to somebody else, it's going to take a little while to show them how to do it so that it comes out to the same level of quality that you're doing. And that's the part that always gets me. I'm like, you know, in the amount of time it would take me to explain this, I could just do this myself and be done with it.
1: But it's the learning curve of scaling. Yes. You have to, there's the weird, there's the weird compromise that you have to make. Like, well, I can keep it. We, I can keep everything at this level and just run everything myself, which is fine. Some people want to do that, but if you want to grow it, then you have to give up some of the control and, you know, and then on some on some facets of what you do, you sort of operate more as a consultant than I'm the guy who goes in and does everything like that. Everyone will do all the all the sort of, you know, the the busy work to get everything done. And, mm-hmm. you know, truthfully, it's actually better to do it that way because like the girl, like Katie, who does, you know, who produces pretty much all of our podcasts for the Nerdist Podcast Network, she's really good at it. <laughs> she's better at it than I am. So. Mm-hmm. Giving up control to someone who's better than you are actually, you stand to gain something from that as well.
2: We got. We're working on the uh, <laughs> getting, getting a glare. She, getting a she's, glare she's staring at you. One, uh, we're working on a really cool uh, book trailer for Nocturnal, um, and book trailers have proven to be a huge marketing win for us because they just sit there on YouTube and they gather views. Like uh, the the trailer for my first book, Infected, has something like. 200,000 views that have come in over the past four years. So it just sits there and it's just constant running commercial for you as opposed to anything else you can spend your money on to publish a book or to promote a book, which is there and is gone. So we spent some money on YouTube trailers and I gave control of this new one for nocturnal over to, um, Kevin Capizzi and John Dunavant who are working on it. And Kevin does all kinds of CGI work and John does this thing called theater Bazaar in Detroit, mm-hmm. which is just, they take a rundown, crater of an area in detroit and put up a giant gothic circus and run that for a couple days so these guys really crave and know what they're doing but i've kind of given up control of that and uh, it's it's two weeks late at this point and i just i've had to learn to just be like i can't control every last aspect of it because they're so much better at what they do than i am and yeah. i just got to see some of it last night and it's it's called uh two and a half d mm-hmm. heard of this Mm-mm. it's where you do you do graphics but in layers so the guy's Face is a layer, then his head, then the background, all different layers. Then when that's given over to an animator, they can move all those different layers. So it's not really it's not full animation and it's not 3D, but it's kind of this thing in the middle.
1: Oh, I gotcha. Yeah.
2: A lot of comic book enhanced comic books do it. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Of course. So you can see the layers moving at different at Mm -hmm. different speeds and Mm -hmm. it sort of creates the 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 illusion of dimension.
2: But that in part of giving up control, I guess. I was, was still the old me it was like, we got to get this done on time. Just, you know, do this, cut corners on this. And finally, it, it just got to the point, like, John is just, the art is the monsters are so amazing looking. And it's all black and white, except for the blood. That's got to be red. <laughs> I control that part, damn it. Yep. We'll have blood red. Uh, and now that the whole thing is coming together, it's going to be so much better than what I could have done if I had been trying to ride it every step of the way. So I'm I'm learning. It's difficult, but learning to, to give up the control because it's going to wind up with a better product overall.
1: It's funny that after all these years, you're still learning. I mean, like for a guy who pretty much has sort of carved his own path mm-hmm. that you still feel like, man, there's a bunch of shit I don't know.
2: <laughs> well, now we're, we've are we got a um, graphic novelization of Infected coming out in the summer. So this will be the first foray of my stuff seeing it in comic book form. And that, the artist, um, Chad Minshew, did like the whole thing, and it looks absolutely amazing. So learning that part of things, and then we're trying to get a screenplay produced and, and trying to take some of the content into other areas, and so it's just it's nonstop learning. It, uh, I don't think there will ever come a time when I actually understand what's going on.
1: <laughs> the only I think part that's I important is thing to admit. The computer. If
2: I sit in front of the computer with the cue and I'm typing a story, that part pretty much got that. Everything else, I have no idea what's going on. Do
1: you still see yourself as a, as, as a writer, or do you see yourself as like, I'm running a thing
2: starting to see it like running a thing. The, uh, A and I put out these books and we sell, we sell the books through Amazon and through our site. And then she's driven us into the ebook world, which has been great. So we take all the content I've been podcasting, we get an editor, we polish it up, we get a cover artist, put it out in the ebook store, the Kindle store, the Kobo store, all of those things. And to watch all of that happen. And now we're like, we have revenue. We have revenue every month. So yep. that's when it started to feel like a thing for me. And then We've taken the podcast and cleaned them up where we can or just re record the stories, and we're selling downloadable audiobooks, too. So from scottsigler.com, people can buy hardcover books, eBooks, audiobooks, and then – what's that? And T-shirts. And, and T-shirts. We have some – we brought giveaway stuff for you. Oh, nice. Yes, tons of giveaway stuff you want to give it away.
1: And um, We do giveaways at Meltdown. Like we have this – we have a uh, – like this display case – and we just put stuff up for a while, and then we give we give stuff away.
2: You can. We've got books for you and, and T-shirts oh, and great. things of that nature. Great, great. But now we have all of this stuff. We've got all these different products, and then come August 7th, our books are not, not my books from Random House. Of course, you expect Random House books to be in stores, of course, but the books that we're doing ourselves are going to be in stores, and it's crazy. And now we know we've really got a thing, and there's so much happening this year that as it moves forward, we're not sure where it'll all go, but going to keep getting bigger hopefully
1: Uh, how how what's your feeling on the (laughs) fewer bookstores
2: um we're trying to get ready for that right now in in that more many more bookstores are going to close because the margins for these stores were already pretty small we've got friends at borderlands books in san francisco where uh i heard a guy talking to the owner he's like yeah what do you do if if everybody goes from print books to ebooks and the owner's like Everybody doesn't need to go, like another 5% need to go because their margins are already so oh, slim. Oh, fuck. Yeah, their margins are already so slim. If they just lose another 5% or 10% of market share, it doesn't matter. If everybody goes to ebooks, just a few more go, and then the bookstores suddenly aren't profitable, profitable at all. So we're going to see more bookstores closing, and we're going to see a lot more people as ebooks become more commonplace and more accepted. We're going to see that. So we're trying to get ready for that, have all our stuff out in ebook form, And then also, I still think that people will want to buy print books directly, particularly our our tricked-out fancy hardcovers with color plates inside and and cool covers. They want that stuff for their bookshelf if they really identify with the story. And for everybody else, we're going to have the paperback. So books will still sell. It's just bookstores are in a lot of trouble.
1: What have you learned even just since you were on the podcast in 2010?
2: What's that? Yeah, we, we... Largely, just watch people bitch on Twitter, uh, and and that's how we formulate our marketing plans. <laughs> God damn it! I can't believe this fucking ebook costs ten dollars and the hardcover costs fifteen dollars. And I bought this. Why can't I just have this? We're like, we can do that. So if somebody buys one of our hardcovers, we just give away the ebook for free in any format forever. So mm-hmm. if they change formats later, um, and we just we've learned how to try and pay attention to all the mistakes that the bigger publishing houses are making, right, and not make those or do the opposite.
1: Of those. Well, the larger companies, the larger corporate structures, aren't designed to. They're just not designed to form long-term relationships. They're designed to try to, you know, uh, they're more short short-term, short-term planning. And next mm-hmm. big thing. Next doing. big thing. Like we want to sell a billion X by Friday, as opposed to well, you know, we might sell a hundred by Friday, but then three hundred next month, and then you know, like, and really try to. <clears throat> But I, mean, I think the most important thing cuz people always ask like how do I start a thing or how do I start doing stand up or how do I start making videos and I think the most important thing is that you have to build the community, you know? Mm-hmm. But to build a community, you have to care about the community you're building. You can't just try to take something from them, which is, you know, what the larger companies ha- have to do cuz they, you know, they just operate on the let's throw a bunch of shit against the wall and see what sticks,
2: which is generally how publishing has worked for for many decades. We're going to put out 300 books this month. We'll see which one gets a good review in the times, and then we'll focus our marketing on that. Or we'll see which one happens to get a bump in week one, and we'll we'll focus on that. And it's largely, I mean, they it's not like they make bad stuff. They're trying as hard as they can to make good products, but you've got one editor handling five or six or seven books, and quality's going to drop at some point. But largely, it's just they don't know what's going to hit, so they make as much as they can throw it against the wall, just like the music industry used to be. We're going to put out so many hair metal bands, some of them have got to catch on, and then we'll make all of our, make all of our money back. And we can't, we can't do that. We can't, uh, we're kind of in a zero-fail environment. We cannot have a single bad product uh, as, as far as we're concerned. Because if somebody's read three books in a series, and then I totally phone it in in the fourth book, and they, they go away, they're not going to come back for books you know, six and seven. We're yeah, that is the interesting,
1: that's the interesting part, is that you, know, you, can, you can understand all of the marketing stuff in the world, mm-hmm. but ultimately if the content's bad... It doesn't really matter what, it doesn't really matter what tricks you're pulling.
3: You can, go ahead.
1: You're you're on the, that microphone will work, yeah. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Okay.
3: Um, So the, I think also one of the things, sorry, the things that's consistent for you guys is you're also, you are consistent yourself. Your act changes, your stories change, but you, your work ethic and your quality stays the same. I saw you in Irvine in 2007. You came out wearing a Hawking is my homeboy t-shirt.
1: Oh, it was that. No, it was a it was a, um, it, it was a uh, it was you
3: and Joel McHale.
1: Yes. And it, w- it wasn't a Hawking. As well. I know the shirt you're talking about. It was Stephen Hawking. And there was uh, there was sort of like a wireframe black hole yeah. diagram in the background. <laughs> and it was his head. And it and it was a quote from Stephen Hawking that said, uh, my goal is simple. It is a complete understanding of the universe. <laughs> and then it just says Stephen Hawking and big letters <laughs> right, right, right. across the bottom.
3: But your uh, approach and and. And I use the word for Scott all the time, and it works for you too. That sort of your attack, your goal, your attack every day is to make the best Hardwick qual- quality Hardwick product you can, mm-hmm. no matter what you're doing.
1: Hardwick breads,
3: exactly. Hard mm-hmm. Hardwick donuts.
1: Hardwick donuts.
3: Yes. Hardwick widgets.
1: Hardwick candles. That's
3: super hard I like to the say. Collectible Hardwick, hardwick
2: porcelain figurines.
3: I like the bobbleheads.
2: Hardwick bobbleheads.
1: But I think no Hardwick matter, uh, f- phallic soaps.
3: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> soap on a rope.
1: It's yep. a good product
2: because
3: it you washes. You gotta out. get another one. It
1: eventually. just says like right across the package, hard with Dick, wash your dick." That's the mm-hmm. that's the catchphrase. Get, get,
3: get it hard with wash, don't make wash that with that oatmeal dick. though. Don't make that with oatmeal. No, that would be. Oh. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't oh, have those. Great oatmeal, great for your private parts. Why didn't you tell me before I added <laughs> twenty thousand units from Quaker? <laughs>
2: When we founded the country, we scratched our balls with oatmeal, and that's well, the way it was. This sounds a
1: lot like our foot, butt, like our like our sports guy. You get
2: a little old newsy twangy in there. What are you <laughs> talking about over
1: there? Ordering <laughs> twenty thousand units of Dick Oatmeal? I don't even know what I'm doing. That's
2: what Peyton Manning told
3: you to do.
1: Yeah, that's almost it's almost Harry <laughs> Carey. You know, now I'm drift now I'm drifting. Not I'm not oh, drifting into Harry Carey. I'm drifting into Will Farrell's Harry yeah. Carey, yeah, yeah, with uh, a which little is,
3: bit of Sammy Davis. In with
1: there. a little <laughs> yeah, with a little bit in there. So it's.
3: But I, should, I actually think that. Every time that the big corporations are designed to pull out and do whatever sticks and let's do a whole bunch of those and let's find the next Bieber in the next 20 minutes while we still have the time, people who are consistently doing – trying to uplevel and definitely branching out but still consistently having their own quality product that they're satisfied with, those are the people who last. Those are the people who have quote-unquote overnight success.
1: Such dangerous words, the next dot, dot, dot. Like, no, 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 no. no. You need to find the new something – which is, you know, you can't compare it to anyone else because it's a new thing. Right. So yeah. it can't be, you know, it can't be the next Bieber or the next whatever. It's got to be the new this guy, and this is his point of view. You know?
2: I, I, when I was... Starting out writing, my goal is always to be the next Stephen King. I loved everything he did. Loved how I did it. loved his storytelling style, so I want to be the next Stephen King. But at this point now, my goal is for Stephen King to be uh, – he's a predecessor of Scott Sigler. <laughs> <laughs> he's an early Scott Sigler. Oh, uh, that's really Then I'll be happy. Then I will have taken over the world. No, all you have to happy. do is write 200 more books. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, going back to what we've learned is just that more about the economies of scale in the digital world. And that, that long tail concept, the more stuff we put in the store as this ebook thing is blowing up and more people are getting devices and starting to read, that's really what we've learned is the more quality things we can put there, eventually that's going to start adding up uh, revenue-wise and people are going to be buying more books for less, so they're happy. And we're happy, and maybe in a year or so
3: this is our full time Shit, day
1: Most Americans don't read. I forgot to tell you that.
3: Mm. People, Which is that's okay because they can wear our t shirts, they yeah. can listen to the audiobooks. <laughs> Download the audiobook. We don't care if you're illiterate. We'll
2: entertain you anyways.
1: I not only can I not read, I can't listen to people read. I can't understand <laughs> what they're saying when I know they're reading.
2: <laughs> we are we are completely ready for the illiterate I'm audio
1: segment. illiterate. <laughs> I'm audio literate. Okay, I don't know if I can help those people. Ah, shit.
2: Yeah, mm. cartoons? Maybe a cartoon? Graphic novel? Graphic novel? Something like that? Yeah. IDW reaches a lot of people. Yep, that's what our comic books coming out with. Them. Oh, IDW uh, is great. And, yeah, yeah, they're great. Super excited. They were awesome. I went to see them at uh, Comic Con with the iPad with the art on it, and I'm like, "We want to do this. Is done. Would you like to do this?" And they were like, "Yes." Is that uh, Chris Ryle?
1: <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Chris Ryle. Really nice guy.
2: I got him. We even got him on the podcast to announce the. Uh, to, to announce the comic book launch, which was super fun. But they were just, they looked at the pictures and were like, yeah, okay, we'll do that. Well, that's cool. They're still small enough, I think, that they can do that. I'm not sure how They're they are. fun.
1: They're doing that uh, Doctor Who Star Trek crossover Damn. comic. Oh, it's really yeah. fucking cool. That'd be cool. So what, uh, you know, what 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 advice would you give to uh, a young person, a young writer now?
2: It do, is it even worth it to try to go through the publisher system? I don't think it is. I, I don't think it is anymore to try and go through traditional publisher. And I still have, you know, out on tour or whatever, some people will say, oh, I'm, I've submitted to these publishers and these agents. Like, that's not the way it works anymore. Now there's a self-funded minor leagues of publishing and you make your own books and you have, you, the thing to remember is you're going to have to save up some money or do something and go get a real editor. If you just do your own books and put them in the stores... Yes, some people have had success with that, but eventually that's going to sting you.
3: Which is the biggest thing we've learned since you first met oh, that's, yeah. Chris in 2010. Is we, can't, we
2: can't edit our own stuff. We you can't? Board. No, we've no, no. got to go hire someone who does that professionally. Otherwise, the
3: product you put in the store is going to be full of problems. And there are many people who will tell you over and over and over. Yeah, I don't know if you have 101 mistakes in your book. Do you know that? Yeah. I had a publisher, and there were still mistakes in my book. But there were probably less than 10.
1: There probably were less than ten, but they were really fucking irritating ones that I should have caught.
3: Yeah, well, and everybody says that, and he says that all the time. And then he'll read it out loud, which is a trick maybe for you if you can read it out loud before the final MS goes in. Um, and he'll be like, "I don't, I don't understand how we missed this." Like, because well, right. we're in it all the time, and that's that's why you hire someone else. But we had 101 errors in our first hardcover book. I know because we had something like a thousand fans tell us.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and you. You know, I mean, my book was only you know sixty thousand, sixty five thousand words, but your books are like what?
2: The Nocturnal is about one hundred ninety thousand words, so it's it's big. Um, But yeah, to if people are wondering if they should get into it, write your own book, edit it, rewrite it, edit it, rewrite it, give it to a professional editor, then put it in the Kindle store, and move on to the next project. Um,
1: There might be a good business to be had for, uh, and I'm sure this already exists, but basically just a, a professional editor group that can, you know, that you
2: bring stuff in. You bring yeah. stuff
1: in and then they just... So hey, it is a call out. If you're a book editor out there, you're going to lose your job. Form a company and offer your services straight to you know straight to so the right, writers yeah. as an independent as an independent editing uh, house.
2: I think even the editors are going to wind up making more money that way because they're they're rate limited in how many things they can edit with, when they're with a big house, but if they've got time and they've got associates who can help with it, uh, there's so many people now who are going to be writers cuz you can make a decent amount of money, you make spare change, you can eventually even make a living at it. So if you put this stuff in the Kindle store, move on to the next project, keep doing that. You never know what's going to connect with the audience because of Amazon's algorithm. If you buy my book and give it five stars, then every other book that you like gets recommended to other people, people who've read book B now get recommended this new book from this kid because Amazon's doing all that work for you. So then what happens is if you have sold a ton of eBooks, the big publishing houses will come to you because now you're not a risk, you're not a gamble. They know your stuff sells, then you can get a print deal or you keep doing your own stuff uh, and you can make all that money yourself if you want to continue to do all the extra things. But going after traditional publishing is a complete waste of time. People just show up and go, "I love you. Here's what you did it. Here's a contract. Yes, you should read that because that could be good, but don't well, go after it."
3: And I also think that after Amanda Hawking last year, who did that? She edited her own, she she did artwork, she did marketing, she did and she sold a million ebooks or made a million dollars or both. Um, and then she signed a contract. And that broke down every last piece of every agent who says, no, 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 if you put it out in ebook, no one will want it. Clearly, that's not true. They desperate. Who was that? But it's Bantam? She's St. Martin's Press. St. Martin's Press. St. Martin's Press wanted everything she had. And she was like, no, no, I'll keep the ones I work so hard on. You can have everything. Well, yeah,
1: I mean, it's like, you know, the problem with industry, like that kind of industry, is that they have. And then's it's really all the major ones, too. they 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 lack vision because they're so focused on like we have to make as much money as quickly now and now because we have this huge corporate structure we're done. So they they have no vision. So you go in and you say, "You know, here's the story that I want to tell, or here's the book I want to And they're like, "Oh, I don't know." So then it's like you know it's everything I've ever feel like I've tried to do is like it's because I've been rejected so many times I'm like all right fuck you I'll go do it myself <laughs> exactly and then it. you know and then it gets to a certain point and they're like wow it's really amazing you do that I'm like you forced me to do this <laughs> if you had just accepted me when I was trying to sell you my thing before you we know have had
3: to go through all this trouble but that- <laughs> we talk all the time about how we would like to be lazier we would like the lazy option the first easy option to be the one yes. that works so. I don't think you know it's funny I don't think ugh.
1: I wouldn't want everything to be super easy, but there are some cheat codes <laughs> in life that I would really love to.
2: If there was just That'd
1: a fucking, right. if there was, if there was a Konami code for the entertainment business, I would be all over that left, shit. Left,
2: right, B, yes, yes, B, A, B, A, B. But I think this system is going to wind up making everybody much, much happier overall because the,
1: content creators, for sure,
2: content creators, for sure. But also, eventually, whatever's left of the publishing world, because their their difficult job is, it's literally. Three people like us sitting in a room going, here's 400 novels that we have to read through and figure out which ones we're going to buy. I like this. I like this. And you're one person. You have, you, you're not You're not a slice of the consumer base, but you put something in the Kindle store and it sells 50,000 copies and there are four, and t- four star reviews. And now as a publisher, you're like, people like this. This is already market tested. I don't have to worry that it's a gamble. I know that for whatever reason, it's connected and people like it. So now it's a much better expenditure of a publisher's money to develop that talent than to go get somebody who's never sold anything.
1: Well, and and you know, it's tougher with something like a movie or a book or a TV show and so much easier with stand-up or like this this YouTube channel that, that we're launching where we have the ability, like with stand-up or with videos, you can tell almost instantly if it's going to fly or not. Right. And if it doesn't then the medium allows you to make hard left and right turns and mm-hmm. adjust on the fly and evolve very quickly, whereas film, television, books, they take months, years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was like John, John Carter's a perfect example. That movie took years, years to get made. mm mm-hmm. And they don't know, they don't really know, you know, they're just kind of, they're going on hunches based on, you know, well, market research and this, this guy and this company and this actor and this person and then, and you know, all those seem to work. So why wouldn't people, and you just, you know, so you spend years and years making a thing and then all of a sudden you find out, (laughs) oh, that wasn't the viral hit we had hoped for. We just
2: lost $250 million. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's
3: job is safe, but we just lost all that money. It's crazy. I have a friend who's a, a civil engineer, and he spent his entire career, he's 50, lives in Missouri, he spent his entire career since he was 22, building one bridge. Oh. One bridge. And every time I see him, essentially all I can do is sort of poke him in the shoulder and go, are you kidding me? How's that possible? One bridge. Is it done? It's almost done. It's Almost? Across, it's across the Mississippi River. It's, it's a 28-year project. Jesus Christ. I yeah. know. Could you imagine? Could you imagine doing no. one thing for 28 years and, and then not. when they're done building, he's just
1: going to fucking hang himself.
3: Well, I poke him all the time. Like, what or. are you doing? How could you do this? And he's like, when it's done, it changes the world. Yeah. Th- and I'm like. Think about oh. that. You could bring a
2: folding chair and a cooler full of Bud Lights and just sit there and scream at everybody who goes by, I did this. He's like, you've got something to do for all your life." We trainers. don't
1: know if that's changing the world for the better. That just means, like, <laughs> right. really... You just helped people get into Arkansas. Is that really changing <laughs> well, the world for
2: the better? Funnily enough, that's exactly
3: what he's doing, actually.
1: <laughs> I tease our- There's
2: room for some biblical <laughs> billboards and everything.
1: You know, there are actually some very- I'm from Memphis, mm-hmm. so I tease the Arkansas. But there are actually some very nice parts of Arkansas. I enjoy Little Rock. I enjoy Fayetteville.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are very Petagene nice. Mountain. Very nice.
1: Mm-hmm. I haven't been there. Mm. It's very tall. Okay. One bridge, 28 years. I can't even imagine.
3: Well, that's every bridge, apparently. It's every every major causeway like that. Like, well, to get to Mud Island, wh- for example. Mud Island, yeah. Ages and ages to build Mud Island. But let's
1: talk about, yeah, Mud Island, the, the, the. So, so funny. M- m- in Memphis, Mud Island was a literally a silt deposit. And then after a while, they were like, let's build shit on here. I saw my first, uh, the first concert I ever bought tickets to was at Mud Island. Really? Men at work. Nice. Alright. You know who opened for them? No. In excess. Wow. Nice. No one knew Double who bell. they were. Well, n- they do now. We are like, who's Inkses? <laughs> What's Inkses? And the minute work came out, play cargo. <laughs> I still, uh 28 years for one bridge, like looking at the fucking, the Bay Bridge, I get, I get butterflies in my stomach every time I look, every time I'm driving across the Bay Bridge and I see those super tall cranes where they're just hovering like hundreds and hundreds of feet over death, mm-hmm. that, that some guy's got to fucking climb that thing every day and get in that, that bubble and just, and just feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll probably be okay up here.
2: <laughs> well, there's the guys who have to paint the tops of the bridge, too. They're not even in a bubble. They're just walking around up there and taking care of business. That's true. That's, uh, a, that's
3: a
1: whole job. different kind of brain chemistry.
3: But you know, <laughs> yeah. those people are thinking, oh my God, if I had to talk in public...
1: <laughs> you know you're right. I could never do
2: stand up. Oh get
3: up on a stage in front of people? Why no. Would you, I, why would you do that? Who would be that crazy?
1: You defuse bombs. <laughs> yeah, I know. You could probably handle stand up. No, it's scary. But it won't kill you. But I heard my voice on tape, and it sounds
2: funny. Oh, I sound dumb. Yeah. I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go paint this bridge. <laughs> that was a big one to get over. Getting used to just hearing yourself all the time. I don't know if you started the podcast. You've done recording forever, though.
1: Oh, I've been around for quite a while. Yes. No, I worked in radio for three years oh, in LA, right. and so I was used to hearing myself on uh, on the radio.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it doesn't I mean, I, you know, I don't think I sound amazing, but I, I don't go,, oh, I sound dumb. <laughs> I'm sure I did in the beginning. <laughs> it is sort of a weird thing. that is another it's a whole other part of your brain that receives your voice from the outside world rather than just your in your in-head voice.
2: It's just a perception thing, though. Now, when I listen to myself on a podcast, I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I sound like. I've kind of got acclimated to it. Yeah. And I do an enormous amount of talking all the time. So <laughs> <sighs> So April 3rd, the book comes out? Yeah. Nocturnal's out April 3rd. What's it about? I'll tell you. It's, um, I'm a big fan of 80s movies and buddy cop movies from the 80s. It's, so, is it sci-fi cop and a half? kind of okay. of sci fine. Double it's what was the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie where there were two of them? Double jeopardy or something
1: like that? Oh, um Time, No, it wasn't Time Cop. Double Dragon? I Twinsies? Twinsies. Uh <laughs> yeah, a lot of Dutchness. Double oh. Dam.
2: Anyways, Nocturnal <laughs> is kind of a uh buddy's cop movie. It's mm-hmm. a police procedural two guys, two cops from San Francisco that morphs into a modern-day monster story. And it gets pretty uh pretty gory and, and pretty brutal by the end and it's really kind of a summer blockbuster it's very over the top it's got a really big set piece ending to it and hopefully people will be seeing a movie in their head when they read it but i also kind of describe it as lethal weapon meets hellboy there's oh, a lot good. of cool stuff going on in i there.
1: can understand those words
2: yes <laughs> lethal weapon meets hellboy so uh, i also have a ton of I don't name drop in the books, but I quote drop. So I take quotes from my, all my favorite 80s movies. Well, let me ask drop you a question. In context.
1: Are the monsters too old for this shit?
2: I do not have that one in there. Okay. <laughs> I do not have too old for this shit in there. Okay. There Some of them though, on, are, are too old for this MFing shit. MFing
3: monsters on an MFing <laughs> plane? <laughs> no, that's, that's, too, that's too
1: new. Yeah, no, that's he's too.
2: 80s. But there's a cool thing. Uh, there's this underground sect in San Francisco that. Comes out at night to feed on the people who won't be missed in in society. So bums and street people and people just passing through, anybody that they think nobody will call the cops for, they will remove these people and do certain things to them.
1: That'd be a smorgasbord in San yeah, Francisco. Be a
2: lot, be a lot. Just go down to to Hate Street and you'll be in business. And uh, there's a generational conflict going on amongst these people. There are those who want to forever stay hidden because they're safe and everything works, and then there's the young generation that's like, you don't know what you're talking about, old man, cult monster. I'm going to go out and do my own thing. So there's a, a push and pull from that side, and then our cop protagonist, one of them is having nightmares of these really brutal, cannibalistic murders, and then when he wakes up, and they go out to report on a homicide, they go to a scene, and it's exactly as he dreamed it would be.
3: What?
1: Now, is there... Does the book series end with a mutant gopher popping up out of the street, and then one of the monsters going, "We're all gonna get laid," and then I'm all right, and then everyone, everyone's dancing in the street. Think I monsters.
2: Jack in on the list. Homeless. I got a lot of, uh, but a lot of '80s movies. Not even and, you got that going for you. Stand up. A lot of stand up is in there. So Eddie Murphy and some George Carlin classic lines. Really? Yeah. I write them in his dialogue, and uh, it's kind of a. It's for people who went to high school when we did, you, you can see them like, oh, that's that movie. Oh, that's that movie. Even though it's in context, and if you haven't seen the movies, it makes perfect sense. That's kind of the Easter egg game I play with the book to see if people can spot all the 80s movies. Right. How many, tons, how many yeah. references are there? Do you know? Uh, I think there's about 30, 30 but there's plus in there. from different movies. Yeah, there's a ton of different movies and lines from... St- I, got, I, yeah, I got a list of them. Um,
1: <laughs> well, don't, maybe you shouldn't read it. Maybe you should true. just let people... You should have a contest...
2: I think, I think reading it and then letting people who know these movies find it Oh, okay, so you're not going to cool. read the quotes. You're just going to say okay. what's no, no, in no. there. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, so here's
1: your Easter egg basket. 80s
2: things <laughs> I Easter egg in Nocturnal. The Last Dragon. Spinal Tap. The Last Dragon. Motley Crue. <laughs> Does someone say I'm the Shogun of Harlem? Uh, I can't tell you what someone says, but okay. it's one of my favorite lines from that. Uh, Star Wars. Dirty Harry. Never heard of it. <laughs> Terminator. Don't know what that is. George Carlin stand-up. Mortal Kombat. Predator. Megadeth. Adam-12, which is going way back to the 70s. One One Adam-12. See the man, see the man. South Park, Romancing the Stone, uh, Eddie Murphy's Raw, Aliens, Pulp Fiction, Snatch, Airplane, and Slapshot.
1: Wow. Oh, Slapshot. Yep. Wow. That's a nice nice sampling of films. (laughs) Really 70s to 90s films.
2: There's a couple 90s snuck in there, and I had to get Adam-12 because it's a cop show. And I was in nursery school every day going, see the man, see the man. 1 out of 12, wasn't that a paramedic show? That was a cop show. It was uh, a cop. Emergency was a paramedic show. That Emergency. Right after 1 out I do,
1: okay, okay. I do remember the beginning. 1 out 12, 1 out
2: 12. <laughs> <laughs> see the man, see the man. A disturbance at Parker and West Parker and West. See the man. Yeah. Us.
1: And then probably some sort of a boop bump boom, some sort of a uh, white funk.
2: We would get up on the slide and someone would say, "One Adam 12." "What i see the man." And then we would go down the slide and that was us rushing to the crime scene. Oh, our game we were in uh
1: Be nerds. so much easier if all crimes just happened at the bottom of slides <laughs> then rescue teams would have no problem whatsoever.
2: <laughs> it would make things a lot easier. You Tax could dollars you would do drop. the
1: corkscrew down. The spiral would be fun.
2: Corkscrew, I grew up in North Northern Michigan. We didn't have a corkscrew, but we had one rusty slide. Well, the news about your one rusty rusty slide rusty sounds dirty. It does, it has, uh, I got a rusty slide.
1: That's a rusty isn't it? Yeah. A rusty slide is when someone just, someone, I can't say it. I can't say it. It's too, it's too gross.
2: <laughs> On a side note, they actually, uh, my editor drew, we, we, collaborate a lot in these books and he's like you can't put that in there I'm like you got to put it in there he made me pull out references of the dirty sanchez he made me pull that out of the book mm. he's like this is a this is a random house book i don't know if we can have that in I'm like of course you can have the dirty sanchez he went so i caved you could say it puts the random in random house <laughs> who would expect the dirty <laughs> where, sanchez where it's were so were you random when I needed you that's yeah, I don't know. my question
1: yeah i think a rusty slide is when someone poops just a little bit and then just slides down someone's body Blarg, <laughs> right
3: Blarg. you think Larg. so i don't think that sounds very fun
1: well, I didn't say it was fun. <laughs> I'm just true. saying that's it's true. a thing. No,
3: you know, but it does defeat boredom.
2: Rule 34. That's true. 34. That's where I'll like come from is the is the defeating the defeat of boredom.
1: Rule 34. You know what happened? At least one person in our podcasting audience went, oh, that's what that's called. <laughs> <laughs> At least one person.
2: <laughs> that's what happened. Oh, when I'm I glad I have a name for that. Oh, on, oh, on I feel so much person. better right, now. I just I
1: didn't thought that was deviant. Now I know it has a thing.
2: No, I actually got me. a magazine. There's a magazine for that somewhere. <laughs> there used to be. Now there's a website.
1: The rusty slide whistle would be great. <laughs> like it makes that sound as, as you're
2: doing. <laughs> <laughs> I won't be sending this one to my mom. What? Okay.
1: Of course you will. <laughs> She'll love it. Honey, it's fine. We all did those things in the old days. No one talked about it.
2: We were children in the 60s. We knew what was going on.
1: <laughs> we did drugs with Timothy Leary and all rusty slid on each other. I like that it has a tense rusty <laughs> slid. <laughs> That's
2: because it's not around anymore. That's it's not the around slid. anymore. Yeah. It's slid. It's all
1: gone. Uh, so where where can people, if they go to scottsingler.com, they can get the book? Can they
2: scottsinger.com slash store. People can get all the the GFL books, which are kind of their their young adult series. Um, As you said earlier, it's an American Football League 700 years in the future with Mm -hmm. aliens playing different positions. So very nerdy, totally geeky. And if you like sports at all, you'll get a kick out of it. Um, That's all that. Our stuff is all there. And then as far as the Random House books, which are Infected, Contagious, Ancestor, and then Nocturnal, those are in bookstores, and those are on Amazon.com and all those other places. And there's
3: a... a Link on the site to pre-order. There's, there's a link name. to pre-order. Yeah. How
2: many words do you write a day? Well, the goal this year was.
3: Uh, oh, and well, why do you have this goal this year? Why do I have the? I think you have your crazy spreadsheet.
2: Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you. Uh, I I actually I, was I, I not supposed I to right mention to that. No, that's all right. Okay. I I started. Um, I read your book. I read the Nerdist way, and I could. It's fun because I could see like there's some. Oh, I've seen him say that line before, and it's funny in this context too, and it's all this new stuff. And then I got to the part about. Um, being scientific with your own life. Mm-hmm. A lot of the book is about, you know, finding your muse and what you want to pursue and how to go about that. Sure. Then I'm like, I got all that covered. And then I get to the part where just ki- kind of measuring what you do. So I created a spreadsheet uh, to try and track how many push-ups and sit-ups am I doing a day? How many calories a day? What's my weight and monitor that? But also uh, what am I writing between the hours of eight, nine, nine, 10, 10, 11, and add up the word count per day. And then I had a column called unproductive unproductive time,
1: unproductive
2: time. <laughs> and i was pretty good about okay I, all right i was i was just on facebook for 45 minutes so i'll put 45 minutes in unproductive time yeah and two things happened like immediately number one was i realized i because i wasn't writing down when i started writing i was writing at nine thirty, ten o'clock and i'm like i'm supposed to be writing at 8 o'clock sharp that's how the model we built works i wasn't doing that and i could see it and it changed everything but then also you know, like two hours, two and a half hours of non-productive time. And I'm like, I can write, even if I'm writing a thousand words an hour, that's, that's a ton of stuff that I, I didn't get done because of that. So that spreadsheet kind of helped me stop wasting time on the internet, which I haven't stopped completely, but now it's down much lower. And then I'm looking and I'm like, shit, I can write a million new words in a year. That's like nothing. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. so new I, words, he said too. New, new words. So when I'm editing a book that doesn't count. Uh, so I set a goal this year to write 1 million new words of fiction. It's
3: Chris Hardwick's fault. It's Chris Hardwick's fault. It,
1: now, they have to, do these words all have to connect in one story or just like short, Any to short stories? Any story. It can be a series of short stories. it has
3: short to be stories. fiction.
2: If it's fiction, if I'm writing a novel, like I could write a novel one month and the next month I write 10 short stories. As long as it's some kind of new content for my listeners, for my fans, uh, then it counts. And we're going to... But it's not blog posts. Not, not blog posts. Right. Although I'm negotiating to bring those in later, <laughs> it's planned to be named later in case I can't make it. That
1: would have helped the Eddie Murphy movie; it'd been called a million words instead uh, of a thousand words.
2: Uh, I did not uh, see that.
1: Oh, I mm,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I saw Raw.
2: Yeah, and Delirious. I saw Delirious and Raw. Yeah,
1: that's interesting. That I, I that thrills me that you took that approach. Yeah, because the whole idea in the book for me was like you can't. People don't even know what they do with their time. Like yeah. anything, you know, like you. You can't manipulate data until you know what the data is. But then once you can see it all laid out, you go, "Oh, I can just shave off a of ten minutes here or an hour there and move this to here and move that." Around. And then all of a sudden, everything becomes really modular. But you, you, I'm, I'm impressed. You've gone way above and beyond.
3: Well, and that what that actually helped was you're talking about the da- being able to see the data so mm-hmm. that you can use the data. He said, "Well, I'm wasting two and a half hours a day and whatever." And I was like, "Okay, you definitely need a break. You can't just flip that all over into writing time." But all the little pieces of he did such a granular breakdown that I was able to say like, well, you put your mind to it, you could write three thousand words a day, yeah. and if you do that, I can give you all these things by the end of the year. I, <laughs> yeah, I can get this in the store. I can do that. We can do that. We can do that. We can do that. And then there was a goal that so, it sort of created a goal.
1: So just so people know, your business partners. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And how does your relationship work? Are you are you the. Are you the planner and you're the writer? Or are you the that's exactly. pretty much so I am the
3: creative much. adjacent is what I like to call myself. No he's, he's the talent. I'm the creative i adjacent. love
1: I love that idea of, you know, and that that's another example of something people can do is partner up with someone who has a skill set that they maybe don't have.
3: What's my skill set?
2: Uh, everything except the writing, I think Tetris Foo. that's what Tetris-foo. we decided to
3: <laughs> <as a> call <column. laughs>
1: Well, it's just that you don't have the perspective on yourself that someone else might have. You know, you can make a thing and you might not even know what the best use of that thing is. And it, sometimes it takes someone else with the with the with their perspective to go, oh, no, no, no. If you just take that and put yeah. this over here, then it becomes this thing. And you're like, oh, fuck, I didn't realize that because it was all this thing I was making was too close to me.
3: Right. I well, that, a lot that of- actually just happened this week. Actually, I said, if you're if we're going to meet in San, in Los Angeles, I'm from San Diego. So if we're going to meet in Los Angeles, take 25 minutes and give me all this audio so that I can get it into production as an audiobook. book. Yep. And he's like, I don't, I don't have that. I haven't met my word count yet for the day. So he's got too close. He's like, I got a thousand, whatever, 2000 words go We're like, yeah. Or you could stop for 25 minutes. That'd be, you know, I can get that working on the road without you.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And that's June, July, August, three new books in the store or whatever, you know, three new audiobooks in the store, which is for us is a very big profit, probably our biggest profit center mm. uh, on the site anyway. And uh, he was like, oh, OK, OK, but I'm not going to meet my word count.
1: That's a really good idea. So so that's something that maybe people who are listening could try is that if you if you're a writer or an artist or whatever it is that you do, find someone that's businessy and partner with them. It's huge. It's and and huge. let them let them try. Let them handle. I mean, listen, you know, some people might go, but then I'm giving away half my thing. Like, yeah, but you'd rather wouldn't you rather have a half of, a you know, a <laughs> ton of something rather than all of of nothing. Well, and but, this
3: is a really tangible thing for us this year. This year, we'll have gone from four things, four digital things at the beginning of 2012 to, if all goes according to plan, seven, seventeen 17 digital things at the end yeah, of the year. 17
2: <laughs> things out there that people can buy if they
3: want to because buy. Because there was so much just sitting there that he'd already created that he was too busy focused on his million words or focused on the next new, you know, there was, the, the, there was
2: literally stuff I, like because she's been listening for uh, a long time. There's literally stuff like I had forgotten the stuff that I had. And she's able to get that and go, that that was good. We can put that out there and see if right. people want it. But on your on your concept of creative people partnering up, I think what creative people don't get is that there are a lot of people out there who don't want to be in front of the mic, so to right. speak. They would love to be part of something like this and be doing it. They'd love to, to build something and, and make things, but they're just, that's not their personality.
1: That's my business partner, Peter, is that he's mm-hmm. like, I don't want to be, in front of the camera at all, and of course, my narcissistic brain. I'm like, "What? What do you mean? So you just want like a smaller part in things?" And he's like, "No, I don't. That doesn't mean anything to me."
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you're just this is like a day player. Like we'll just have you come. No, I just want to run the business part.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If people don't. Uh, the the creative types don't get that. And then I think that people who want to attach themselves to something like that, who aren't the creative types, who don't want to be in front of the camera, I don't think they also realize. That you can just go up to someone and say, I love what you do. I think I could help you. Maybe we could sit down and figure out if we could work together, I could handle these other things. And I think I, th- I think a lot of people who've never talked to a creative person think, oh, they're they know they got everything under control. They're not gonna want
3: any help from me. I mean, you gotta ask. But I think also that for me, the way our relationship started is is the same way that you probably had have have scored gigs and you've scored books, is by going in and saying, I'm gonna do this on spec, and you're gonna be so impressed that it's gonna work out for another thing to come down the line. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this, and then you're going to love it, and then we're going to do something else. It does together.
1: help to believe in the thing. <laughs> right. And, uh, you do have to believe in the thing.
3: And so i, I that's how we started. I was like, I'm going to do this for you for spec, because you need help whether or not you know it.
1: Not only that, but getting someone to take over the part of the business that you might not necessarily be strong at yeah. takes it off your plate so that you can focus on the quality of the content you're creating, which is s- invaluable. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't yeah. be worried about oh, is this going to go up on this side and who's this deal going with over there and what's the social media aspect The blah, 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 yeah. like just all that shit.
2: But well, If I'm you're sure going to move up a little bit as far as w- the quality of what you out, at some point that has to happen because I can't, I'm getting better at what I do now because now when I sit in front of that keyboard, I'm not, I don't have all these 17 things r- around my subconscious going, you got to take care of this, you got to fix the MySpace page, you got to, not MySpace, you got to fix the Facebook page, <laughs> whatever. That's
1: your first
3: but problem. MySpace, <laughs> yes, I'm
2: still on the MySpace. Um, All of these things that are pulling at you and and taking your focus away from the thing you're really supposed to be making cuts into the quality of everything that you do. So having someone, anyone who can kind of take care of some of those things just makes you better at the the basic craft as well as giving you more time for it.
3: But I would say I would expect that the both of you are the same. And I might be wrong, but you are the only one who tweets. On your Twitter, oh yeah, no one has access to that, but me exactly. And he's the same way. And we've met a whole bunch of people at at conventions and stuff who are like, "Well, we, you know, maybe if you share that, there could be more content." And that's successful for like the Kardashians or whoever. (laughs) Really, right? Exactly. It's like, really, is that successful? Because I don't, I don't think that that's the same thing. I think it needs. Whether or not it doesn't really matter in that case. What I think, they are
1: empty content for an empty demographic. Exactly. So, and that's their so demographic expects TV. their tweets to be to be vapid, right? And because are they su- are vapid,
3: exactly. But there are use there are um, tweet streams that are successfully shared, but it's the ones that are um, okay. shared in a very not in a very public way. Like I'm out, you know, whatever. S- Scott's flying to Mars and he's going to be offline for six years. Mm-hmm. I might post updates in his Twitter stream because it's connected, but you would know that. Um, so when you go to Mars, uh, more we'll importantly,
1: when are you going to Mars? Pretty yeah. soon, real, it, real soon. But Disney's going to make it just be Scott Sigler. <laughs> Scott Sigler <laughs>
2: Scott, Scott goes a trip to Mars, too, and then it's just blank. I'm like, where am I going? We can't, we can't tell. We you.
1: have a great idea. We're going to take this fantastic concept and cut that out.
2: <laughs>
3: what? <laughs> what are you well, talking you about? See, women won't actually like the trip if because they know where they're going. Because women don't really know about Mars.
1: I have this idea. It's called Scott Sigler Gets Blowjobs on the Ocean Floor. We're just going to call it Scott Sigler.
3: What?
2: Why would you cut out all that
1: other fantastic stuff?
2: I didn't, I, I didn't sign up for it because it said Scott Sigler on the Ocean Floor. I don't want to drown.
1: Scott told me there'd be blowjobs. Scott Sigler Gets Mermaid Blowjobs on the Ocean Floor. So we're going you know to call it Scott.
2: Can you call some of your people and help us make that
1: movie? Because it'd
2: be great. <laughs> I, I'm down for that movie. Like, are we talking Daryl Hannah mermaids? That kind of thing? or uh, yeah,
1: yeah, Splash. Splash. Splash mermaids? Splash yeah. mermaids. Okay.
3: But the, the sad part for you is they will they will probably cast someone else as no, no. Scott Sigler. The they might. They might. They could. Yeah. Well,
2: which would be I'm still I'm agreed.
3: down for that. But Except still, for the part I just about... want to be the stunt double. Is that so much Exactly Right.
1: Uh, uh, just for the for the blowjob parts. Yeah, the, the, those mermaids are great because they still like they walk on land, and when their fins dry, they still get mammal vaginas. Yes, mm. so that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, oh, that's,
2: they, wait, did they ever seal the deal in Splash? They they hook, they actually hook it up. I don't um, think they did. It's possible
3: there could have been a Splash icky-ish. was way less disturbing than Big. I, I I don't remember Splash all that well. I just remember Splash in Big, sweet. I'm pretty sure he that is illegal. Well, the, the sleepover was technically. Illegal. It's
2: look, it's the double it's standard. Listen, awesome. the guy that doesn't matter.
1: Penny Marshall made it adorable. <laughs> That's true. For That's true. That's Elizabeth true. Perkins to fuck a twelve-year-old.
3: Exactly right.
1: Yes. <laughs> it probably wouldn't say that on the box. No. That was another movie. Elizabeth Perkins fucks a twelve-year-old. Like that should have been the name of that movie. But you they were what? like, well, we have to call it the Big. The
2: Disney exec was behind that said, look, it's it worked with Big. Yeah. I didn't
3: put Elizabeth Perkins fucks a twelve-year-old in the box. And we sold a lot of copies. <laughs> at, we also, sold a lot of VHS. I figure the reason she fucked a twelve-year-old is because it was big
1: yes it'd be bigger you because what, he though? made a wish on his altar machine in that
3: movie's defense that has got to be the only
2: hollywood movie that the porn industry can't do a parody version name of no they can't. can't there's they can't. nothing you can do it's big you can't you can't do anything twisty and i will
3: tell you that there i grew up not too far from uh, i grew up in new york and um that was filmed at rye at uh, playland at rye new mm-hmm. york and there was really a zoltar machine there
1: I just saw a Zoltar machine at the Santa Monica Pier mm-hmm. that I took a picture of.
3: Mm-hmm. Did you get a?
1: No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Not
3: taking that chance, right? No. Did I mention <laughs> the part where it got bigger?
1: Oh. <laughs> he should have just localized it. <laughs> it's true. I wish I were big, sure. dicked. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but now, at, if a grown man does it, does he not like all of a sudden have green skin and run around?
1: No, he's then like he gets it's like 80. I don't want now. to rob myself. Ooh,
2: that's that's not be the funnest thing in the world. It's
1: all right to jump from 12 to 30, but not, you know,
2: yeah.
1: you don't want to jump from 30 to 80.
2: I just like Splash because John Candy was in it. Oh, he was the movie. best. He was so good. In and
1: you how to speak Swedish to the guards because yeah. of all the porns.
2: Yeah, a lot of your finest Swedish nudie porns. Yeah, that's, that's great. Fucking <laughs> love that Hey, movie. Rory. That was,
1: and I then, not drop it. And then drop Eugene
2: Levy. <laughs> uh, we're just uh, moving,
1: uh, we're just, uh, moving gonna, our. We're just moving our equipment over there. Gene Levy. He's circus around, Lupus, the Circus of Wolves. He's good. Well, uh, thank you very much for coming on, Scott. Hey. thanks. LX. Thanks. Uh, it's good to see you. ScottSigler.com. Uh, check out the new book. April third, it's coming out.
3: Nocturnal. And you'll be in. You'll be here in L A. on the sixth.
2: Be here in L A. on the sixth, apparently. But Scott, if anyone wants to come see me, we're doing the. We're doing the Tupac tour first this month. That's Tupac first, Yeah. Mm. And then we're going to do Tupac. Uh, West Side, we're doing Westside, Tupac, Tupac, Tupac Biggie Tour. So okay. This month. In, oh, I've got some bad news for you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, and no one later told on you.
2: East Side. Yes. Well, they didn't get along very well. We don't think we're trying to get some animosity going between our East Coast and West Coast. Sure, streets. sure, sure. But uh, ScottSigler.com slash tour. Mm-hmm. There's the tour. ScottSigler.com. I'm on the Twitter East Side. Scott ScottSigler. And. Uh, that's about it all right super happy to be on the show again it's good awesome. to see you back thanks for coming back Scott hey nick see you later,
1: hey guys. See you later enjoy, guys. Your enjoy your burrito enjoy your
2: burrito enjoy
0: now leaving nerdist.com enjoy your burrito this
1: episode of the nerdist podcast is brought to you by hover.com hover is domain name registration and management that is simple Upgrade to a premium domain and trade in your old clunkers. Visit nerdist.hover.com.
0: I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show.
1: From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window